We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to today's message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Now here's Pastor Muta. All right, so we're going to be in two places of scripture today. I've got, I'm going to cover a lot of ground in scripture, and I want us to go through uh, it pretty quickly so you guys can get on with the rest of your day. So do me a favor, go to Genesis chapter 1 first. Go to I mean, Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to start off, and then we're going to go to the Ephesians text in just a moment. So from the beginning of time, there's always been an attack on relationships. Uh, the enemy, Satan, we do believe that there's a, there's a devil, there's an uh, adversary towards Christ and towards the church. His name is Satan. He's the enemy. We believe that he has had a, an ought against God's people. He's had ought against God. So from the beginning of time, there's been this uh, constant tension that has been brewed between uh, uh, relationships. So the first was between man and God. We see in the text that we're about to jump into uh, a broken relationship between man and God. And then right in that same text, we see the effects of that broken relationship leads to a broken relationship between husband and wife and man and woman. And eventually, as we see in the story of Adam and Eve, we won't get into it, but we see the brokenness in humanity, the, the tension that comes with humanity. So if you would... Jump to Genesis chapter 3 with me. We're going to read through it. We're going to talk about it, then we're jumping to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So it's talking about the fall when Adam and Eve were in the garden. It's perfect. They're in paradise. Everything is going good. God says, hey, you can eat of any tree in the fruit in the garden. It's all yours. Don't touch that one tree. It's just, it's not going to go good for you if you, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. So just kind of stay away from it and just have everything else. So then the enemy shows up. Verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the, tr- uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to, be des- was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave her some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a loincloth. And they heard the sound of the Lord of God uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? And then Adam says, It was the woman. It was her, God. 
The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, it wasn't me. It was the serpent that deceived me and ate. We see in this text that God creates Adam first. He's in the garden. He's by himself. Uh, God says that it's not good that man should be alone. So he creates Eve to come and be a help me to Adam, to come and walk alongside Adam so they can do life together. They can be in relationship together. And so they're doing life together, and the the enemy shows up and decides to want to deceive them. And if you look at the context of the text, it's Adam and Eve are standing together. And so when the serpent says, uh, hey, you shouldn't eat any any fruit of the tree in the garden, he's talking to two people. He's not talking to one person. But she she decides to step up and take the authority that God had placed on Adam She stepped up because Adam is standing right there abdicating responsibility. God told Adam, you can eat everything except for that one. He knew exactly what God had told him to do. And Eve, I'm pretty sure, knew exactly what God told him to do because I'm pretty sure in a a state of blissful communication, they they communicated all the time. But instead of listening to what God said, she decides to listen to what the serpent says. And Adam is sitting there watching this all go down, so much so that when she hands him the fruit, he eats it as well too. They both let outside influences impact their relationship. They let something else that is outside of the God-ordained relationship of man and woman come and influence their decision. And as a pastor, I see this all the time. I get to have this vantage point to see in people's relationships where I see that there's a disconnect, where, where there's, uh, there's influences taking place in their life, whether it's a mother-in-law, whether it's a friend, whatever it is, whether it's just culture. That now there's a breakdown between a man and God and then man and his spouse or man and humanity. But I believe that God is calling us to live different. And so here goes some uh, encouragement that I want, I want to give right here. Uh, to live different, women, let's reject the narrative, I don't need no man. I don't need you in the first place. I can do this thing on my own. Let's reject the narrative of, I must submit to every man. Whatever guy comes in and sings me a story, I'll submit to him. And for men, let's reject the, as long as she's happy, I'm happy. You know we got that narrative. Or the avoidance until it's a problem narrative. I just won't say anything. I'm just going to leave it alone. Let's embrace the, what does God have to say about this narrative? Let's embrace a thus saith the Lord narrative. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 5. It's page 569, I believe, if you have one of the Bibles uh, that house crew got to you. If you didn't have a Bible, if you didn't grab one when we were reading Genesis, go ahead and lift your hand up. 
we'll get one to you. So verse 18, we're going to dive right in. Verse 18, Pastor Derek did an amazing job with, with verse 1 through 17, talking about how to walk in love, to be imitators of God, and how to walk wise and uh, just kind of live this new life, live differently the way God is calling us to live. So in verse 18, we carry along, uh, we, 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 we continue on, and it says, Do not be drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to God. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. He makes this declarative, declarative statement because before he's been talking about, hey, the days are evil. There's a lot of influences out there. And one of the influences, uh, wine was common in, this, world, in this, this time period and in that world, in, in their area. It was just kind of one of those things that everybody partook in. But he's saying, listen, at the end of the day, don't get drunk with wine. He didn't say don't drink wine. He says don't get drunk with wine. Uh, be, be moderate with the way you're approaching this thing. Because we've heard in other texts, wine is a mocker. Wine makes you do some crazy things. And he says here, he says, because it is debauchery. It literally, it is an excessive indulgence in sensual play, pleasures. It's going to cause you to get into things that you really don't really want to get into. He says, don't get drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. And this is a present tense. He's saying, he's like, uh, don't just get filled with the Spirit one time. Don't say, I believe in Jesus now. I'm just going to walk and just do my own thing. He says, it's a constant filling. Be filled with the Spirit. Constant. Every day, ask God to fill you with his Spirit. And it's not because you're empty. You know, when we become Christians, sometimes we've got this uh, narrative depending on what uh, church context you came from, where it's like, hey, I just need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, let me share something with you. When you gave your heart to Christ, you were filled with the Holy Ghost, and he stayed. He didn't go anywhere. He's still working within you. What this is talking about, be filled with the Spirit, is talking about be influenced by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit every single day. And you know, he applies this into the context of the home. And anybody here who's lived in any home knows that we need the Holy Spirit in our homes. Anybody who's been married knows we need Holy Spirit in our marriage. Anybody who's got kids knows that we need Holy Spirit with our kids because sometimes they act demon-possessed. Let's just be real. Hey, sometimes our spouses act demon-possessed as well too. Hey, watch it, girl. And then he goes through three evidences of what a life lived in the Spirit, one that is influenced by the Spirit uh, looks like. In verse 19, he he talks about uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord, meaning this person is joyful. There's something, there's this, this uncanny joy about this person that it doesn't matter what is happening in their life, they're just happy. I got a friend, her name is Callie. She was uh, around here relevant for at the beginning, and now she's moved on. She's in Wisconsin. But Callie is one of the most joyful people I know. 
Everywhere you go, Callie always has a spring in her step, a smile. So much so is this girl posts on Facebook, hey, I got cancer, but guess what? God is still good. We're going to beat this thing, and I am all right. Don't feel sorry for me. My gosh. Somebody who is filled with the Spirit constantly has joy. It overcomes any trial. Verse 20, he says they're grateful. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they know that, listen, everything that I have is as a result of Christ going to the cross for me. I am grateful. If for nothing else good happens in my life, Jesus Christ, the God of heaven and earth, came to this broken world, lived a broken life. situation, died a broken death, but now lives for me, and so I can live in him. So they're grateful. They're constantly grateful. They've experienced grace, and so they show gratitude. Verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. They're submissive. And this is not saying just the women. This is in the context of anyone who is spirit-filled they're submissive. They don't have to have things their way. They don't have to always usurp authority. They don't always have to say, I'm the one who's in charge, or I've got to have things my way. The marks of a spirit-filled individual is they're joyful. They're grateful. They show gratitude, and they're submissive. So point number one, it's right there. Spirit-filled homes are marked by joy and gratitude resulting in mutual submission. That's where we want to get to. Is, is your home Armageddon? Listen, now we've been there, right, babe? Goodness, that was not spirit-filled whatsoever. We've been there. We've experienced that. Is your home blissful? Is it joyful? Is everybody in there showing gratitude to each other? Because spirit-filled homes are marked by joy and gratitude. Point number two, we go directly to that as we get into verse 22 through 24. A spirit-filled Christian wife will have no difficulty submitting to a Christ-following, spirit-filled husband. I almost gave this text to Pastor D to preach. I'm like, I don't want to go there. Wife submitting to your own husbands? Good Lord. PD, you want to pre- preach this? <laughs> So he goes on, now he's talking in the context of of marriage relationship. And in chapter 6 that we get into next week, he's talking about in the context of parents and children and children and parents and and workers and and, and their employers and all of that. But today we're going to talk through relationships. He begins, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This text has been taken out of context for so long and have caused so much misery to so many women. And so so many men have lorded over their wives because this text. Because this specifically is talking in the context of a true Christian, Christ-following relationship. This submit. Uh, Paul encourages the wife, the woman, to say, hey, put yourself under your husband. Not because he's better than you. 
Not because he's bigger, stronger than you or anything like that. She says, listen, you guys are both submitting to God. Both of you guys are being led by God. So if you know that your husband is totally submitted to God, you're seeing a godly life in him, you're seeing him live out faith in the way that God is calling us to live, hey, just, just put yourself under him. Just say, I'll let you take the lead. Not that you can't have an opinion, not that you can't say anything. Honestly, the smart man will take the opinion of his wife a lot. But he's encouraging women. He says, listen, uh, it's not about who's in authority. It's about how we exercise our authority, how we go about living in this life. And he, he gives us the model as Christ is the head of the church. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what this means for Christ being the head of the church. But there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Um, to your own husband, not to your boyfriend. It's going to make somebody mad. Submit to your own husband, not to the guy that you're hooking up with. Not to the guy who you like and you're willing to do everything just so that you can feel like you've got love. He says to your own husband, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Uh, I remember my dad um, when I was, you know, dating age, even when I started dating my wife and things were going really good and we feel like we're about to get married. And I would say like my girlfriend and he'd be like, yeah, your friend who's a girl. And I was like, why do you always say that? That's just weird. She's my girlfriend. He's like, yeah. But she's, you know, sometimes when we start using those types of, types of terms, we begin to put type of restrictions over each other. And I remember him saying this to me all the time. He says, listen, a boyfriend or a girlfriend has no biblical right in your life, only your spouse. There's nowhere in Scripture it says, hey, that dude that you're dating, submit to him. It doesn't say, hey, the girl that you're dating, treat her like the church, even though we're supposed to begin to start to treat them like the church, with love and respect. But we've, we've got to get to the point here where we understand that this submission thing has gotten us into a lot of issues. 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16. This is why Paul makes makes the argument. He says, listen, if you're going to get into a relationship as a Christian, make sure you find somebody else who's a Christian to be in relationship with. Don't be unequally yoked. Because if your relationship starts off from two opposing sides, you're inciting civil war in your home from the beginning. I've seen this happen way too often. He says this. He says, do not be unequally yoked. With unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal or Satan? That's another word for Satan. Or what portion does a believer share with the unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are temples of the living God. If you want to start off a relationship well, find somebody who has the same desire for Christ as you have or better or more. Because for women, that is going to be the only time where you're going to feel comfortable saying, all right, I'll roll with you. 
I trust you because I trust the God in you. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. As we saw in Genesis, Eve ate the fruit. But God didn't go to Eve first. He went to Adam. He says, I put the onus on you, husband. I placed you in, in the position where I'm going to come to you about the, the situation at hand. And, and so uh, as, as Christ, Christ leads in our life, as God leads and we follow uh, in everything, uh, we, uh, in our relationships, women say, you know what? Christ is the model. You're following Christ. You're, you're acting godly. So I'm going to follow you as well in everything, not in sin. In, any, in everything that is godly. Again, this is in the context of a Christian relationship. The qualifier is that he's a believer and will lead in a godly way. I mean, let's be honest. How many women in here, uh, don't raise your hand, but um, I, I'm going to sense it in your spirit. If you know your husband is sold out for Jesus, he's loving God, he is pursuing God, you're seeing him wake up in the morning, reading the word, on his knees, praying over the kids, saying, hey, let's have Bible study together, you have no issues saying, I, I'll follow you. Absolutely. But what it doesn't say is husbands submit to your wife in everything. And if I can just uh, just take a step aside here, something that I see in the church a lot is men who abdicate responsibility. Christ has called you to be the head of the house, head of the family, to, to lead like he leads, not to let her take the lead. Not to let her make every single decision because you just want to sit and do your own thing. And so many times in the church context, that's why we see a lot of women stepping up and serving the church. And we're like, where are the men at? Because we're like Adam sitting off to the side and say, hey, you know what? I mean, if she'll do it. I mean, if she, hey, listen, you're smarter than me. Maybe you know the Bible more than me. And, and so we sit off, and now it, it becomes one of those things we use as an excuse. Happy, happy wife, happy life. No, you're just being lazy. It's time for men to step up and take the role that God has called us in our relationships. And we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this real quick. And, and, I, and I truly believe that when we are leading the way God is calling us to lead, we will not have the issues that we have in our households where we're constantly at odds with our spouses because our spouse wants to do one thing and we want to go one way and she's pushing. Why? Because she says, listen, I haven't seen you praying about it. I haven't seen you on your knees about it. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But, but because of this, the way Eve steps up and she, she gives the fruit, to the husband. Uh, on the wife's side, so we see the men abdicating responsibility, but I also see a lot of women using manipulation to control their husbands. They want to be in control. So I'm going to manipulate you through sex. I'm going to withhold that. 
I'm going to manipulate you through, you're supposed to take care of me. I'm your first ministry. Uh, God says you're supposed to protect me. So you got all these men who can't step up because their wives are holding them down. Holding them back. Hey, man, I really want to serve the Lord, but no, my wife needs me over here. Hey, man, I would love to be there and serve and all of that, but, you know, she just, she, she would really rather I be here. And so many men are held back from the ministry that God wants to do through their lives because they got manipulative wives who don't want to see their men be, having influence everywhere else. I want all the attention to be on me. Point number three. The sacrificial love of the spirit-filled husband is not dependent on circumstance, but his God-given responsibility to promote and protect. The sacrificial love of the spirit-filled husband is not dependent on circumstance, but his God-given responsibility to promote and protect. Verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives. Absolutely. Love them, respect them, build them up. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I'll even read verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How many guys in here, don't raise your hand because you will get stabbed probably later on, How many know that your wife is not perfect? How many of us know that our wife has spots and she's got wrinkles? And I don't mean physically. I'm just talking about just emotionally, sometimes spiritually. And he says this. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. While we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. While we were nagging, Christ died for us. While we were being emotional and uh, uh, petty, Christ loved and died for us. Our love to our spouses is not conditional. I remember uh, when I first got with my wife, we have this running joke now, that I was praying for patience. And I was saying, Lord, just teach me to be patient. And then I married my wife, and she tested my patience every single day. And she, say, she knows it. It's a joke, guys. Don't get all like, oh, my gosh, he's saying that about his wife. No, it's a joke that we say now. But my love for her could not be predicated on how she treated me. Christ's love for us is not predicated on whether we get it right all the time. He says the model of true love is you give yourself up for your wife. Again, going back to what I was just sharing before, this doesn't mean letting her have her way all the time. This doesn't mean that everything that my wife wants, every wind of decision, I just have to just kind of follow suit. It's about promotion and protection. 
what, what do we mean by that? He says that he might sanctify her, meaning set her apart. When we were married, I was set apart for my wife. My wife was set apart for me. And now as a believer, as a leader in my home, I set my wife apart. And I say, listen, there's no one else. No one else is going to influence this situation. Not my buddies, not the media, not culture, not her attitude. I am going to make sure that my wife is sanctified, that she's set apart, having cleansed her by the wash of water with the word. And so what am I going to do? The same way Christ taught us daily and influence with the word, I'm going to approach my wife with the word. I'm going to be the chief promoter and proponent of a scripture gospel-centered household. I'm going to be the one who says, hey, listen, babe, I know that we want to make that decision. And listen, I totally want to submit to you. I love you. And I think you may have some merit there. I see it a little different. But hey, how about we go to scripture together? How about we seek the Lord together? How about we pray and fast together? Sanctify her, cleanse her by the water, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, and any such thing, so she might be holy. Second Timothy two, I mean Second Timothy three, verse sixteen says this: All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hey, men, if you don't know the word, learn it together. If your wife has been studying a lot longer than you have and you just don't feel comfortable working with the word, guess what? Learn it together. Women, if you're single and you're looking for a spouse, find somebody who is learning the word, who's got a desire to follow Jesus. Because one, that's the only way he's going to be worthy of following. And two, in your low times, because all of our spouses, husbands, wives, we all get to low times. At that time, we are going to need to wash each other with the word. And you don't want somebody fighting against you and saying, well, I don't want that church stuff. But here goes the deal. Maybe maybe you're already in that situation. Maybe you're already in a situation where you're with somebody who is not accepting of the word. I was going to make a joke, but that was going to be so bad. I was going to say, you made your bed, and now you got to sleep in it. But, but the reality is God does not give you the right to dishonor your husband. Yes, in those things that are ungodly and those things that are sinful, yes, do not submit. But you got to give the man that God has placed in your life that you've chosen now the ability to grow into his godliness. And for some of us, for, for, for some of us, our spiritual life as women is going to be the influencer that's going to influence our husband. Not beating him over the head, not lording it over him, but just living the godly Proverbs 31 life that the husband is going to say, why do you still submit to me even if I don't? Why do you still honor me even if I don't? That was a free one. That wasn't even part of the notes. Verse 27. In this 
so that he might present the church holy and splendor. I read that already. Wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives, wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Nourishes and cherishes it. God takes care of our physical, our spiritual, and our emotional needs, and God has called us as men to be that for our wives. Take care of the spiritual, the emotional, the physical needs. Just the way we feed ourselves when we're getting low, when when we're hungry and when we're feeling sick and when we go to the doctor, we take meds. God is saying, listen, I've got the medicine and it's called the word. And we need to present this to our spouses. We need to present this to our wives daily. Again, we're the ones who are supposed to be the chief promoters of God's word in our household. And women, if there's no husband there, you be the chief promoter of the word in your household. If you've got kids, pour that word over your children's lives. Make sure that they know Jesus, especially if you have little boys. Make sure that they grow up with the greatest model of biblical manhood there is, Jesus Christ. We feed ourselves. We nourish ourselves. Let us men Take up the responsibility of doing that for our spouses. I'll tell you what, I grew up in a household where we had Bible study in the morning and in the evening. I believe one of the reasons I came back to faith in Jesus is because every time I was out in sin, I would be singing hymns in the back of my head. And God was convicting me all the way through it. Man, I want to challenge us. As much as we love to take care of our bodies, our cars, our resources, and all of that, how bad are we wanting to take care of the spiritual life of our spouses? I just realized that after a few months, we had fallen off having Bible study at home. I got a buddy of mine, Andrew Beresford. He pastors a church, Serve City. His little kids, from the time they've been young, I mean, these kids can articulate the gospel like, no, like any other pastor out there. And I remember when I asked my son something about scripture, my seven-year-old, and when he couldn't answer it, it broke my heart. I said, here I am preaching every Sunday morning, and I've abdicated the responsibility of teaching my own child. Guys, we got to stand up. We got to say, listen, Jesus gave us his word. God gave us his word. And we got to make this the model of our household because that's the only way we're not going to start looking for other things. That's the only way our, our, our spouses are going to trust us. They're, that's the only way our spouses are going to uh, uh, submit and love us and honor us. That's the only way they're not going to be looking at their coworkers or, or their girlfriends, husbands, and all of that. And uh, all this craziness starts happening because they trust and follow the God in us. And they said, this is a man worth following. And why is this so important? Verse 32, this mystery 
is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And he closes with, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Point number four. The health of the local church will be promoted and protected by the commitment of spirit-filled servants. Uh, Those who are single and saying, listen, until God provides that person in my life, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to uh, be totally submitted wholly to God. I'm not going to let any other influence get in my way. I'm not going to let any Tom, Dick, or Harry come and say, hey, you know, you're looking good there, girl, and all of a sudden I'm falling head over heels. I'm going to put up a model and say, listen, are you following Jesus? Are you serving him? And maybe, maybe you're not serving him. Hey, guess what? You want to hang out with me? Come hang out with me at church. Come serve with me Sunday morning. Hey, what are you reading? What's God doing in your life? The health of the local church will be promoted and protected by the commitment of spirit-filled servants and the health of spirit-filled marriages and families. See, the holy union that takes place between man and woman is the perfect representation of Christ and his church. Jesus loves his church. He gave himself up for her. He bent over backwards. He made sure that we were protected and taken care of. And as a result, we follow with honor. Not because he's coercing us. Not because he's lording it over us. Because we trust him. And as we come to a close of this message, this is the one thing that I want to leave for everybody here. In your life, in your spouses, in your relationship, let the Spirit lead. See, God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead in our singleness and in our marriages. And just like the church is a representation of heaven on earth, Spirit-filled relationships will be marked by joy and celebration. And how many of us would love to see more joy and more celebration in our marriages? in our families, in our households, experiencing the fullness of all God has to give us. Singles, don't fall for the lie of Satan that you're missing out. Because that's exactly what Satan told Eve. You're missing out. So singles, slow your roll. Trust God. He's got the plan. And the plan that he has for you will be much greater than anything that you were willing to concoct. Because some of us, that's what got us in the situations that we were when we were single. Wife, stop trying to control your husband. Really. Let him lead. Pray for him. Pray over him. In the quiet hours, if he's not the man that you believe that he's supposed to be, go on your knees and cry out to God and say, God, help me love him where he is. Help me love him to life. Help me show joy, show respect so much so that he is influenced by the God in me. 
Husband, stop abdicating responsibility and lead. The spiritual, social, emotional health, physical health of your relationship relies on you. When we come to glory, God is not going to say, hey, wife. He's going to say, Muta, what happened? How, how did you do? John, how'd you do? Terry, how'd you do, brother? And if we follow this biblical model of relationship, I believe we are going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, now I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let your life be marked by the grace and gratitude and through perfect representation of love, sacrifice, biblical womanhood, and biblical manhood. But we will only get that when we commit to being washed like water with God's word. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much how it teaches us, how it challenges us. God, I pray that uh, every heart and mind in this space, woman, man, child, God, that we would just seek your word and we will do it. And we will live the life you've called us to live. And through that, we'll be marked by joy. We'll be marked by grace and gratitude. But one more thing, we will be marked by one who's responsible, a good steward of the gift of relationship that you've given us. We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.